Well, everybody, as promised, we are here with Jen Shahadi. And Jen, first of all, I mean, yeah, hey, hi. For those of you who are watching on video, Jen's waving. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, Jen. And we're joined by John Somsky, too. So uh, we'll kind of have a, a three-person three, uh, conversation. But Jen, where are you calling in from? Well, I'm in Philadelphia right now. That's where I live. So that you're born in, okay, so I knew you were born in Philly, right? Oh, yeah. I was born in Philadelphia, went to high school here, and then I went to college in New York, lived there for a while. But I, I came back to Philly. I really love the city. It's a great landing um, place for just international travel, for chess, for poker. It, it's a really fun city to live in. It's pretty affordable to, to live right in the center of the city, which I like. Yeah, now we, we were sort of, sort of making this habit of having Philadelphia people on here. And as a Minnesota Vikings oh. fan, it's sort of a, I don't know, I don't know how we're feeling about this, this Philadelphia connections, but we'll, we'll, we'll let, you, let you go anyway, I guess. Well, what other Philly people have you had on recently? Well, who did, was, was Matros, was Matt Matros a Philly guy? He's actually New York. He was New York. But... John, do you remember who the last person on that was Philly? They said other oh, Philly, but they were going to let it. I I remember that, but I don't remember who it was. Yeah, but there's a, there are a lot of fil- poker players in Philadelphia because we're so close to all these great casinos, and you know, not so far from New Jersey either. So yeah, it's and and apparently online poker is coming to PA in July 15th, and so I think it's actually going to be even more poker players flocking to this area, which I'm excited about. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about your background now. I know it's you know. Pretty much, you're, you're known most, I'd say, probably for your chess background, right? Is that kind of, do you consider yourself a chess player before you consider yourself a poker player, or? I don't guess I don't really think about myself in that way, like yeah. what I consider myself as. It's hard to say. I guess, I mean, sure, I, I played chess. I play, I, I love chess. It's a great game, and I used to play it professionally. So, yeah, it's a, been a huge part of my life and will always be a part of my life. And it's part of your whole family's life, right? I was reading sort of your bio. And it seems like everybody played chess in your family, right? Yeah. Well, my mom played a little bit, but my dad was a multi-time uh, PA state champion. And my brother's an international master who also used to play professional poker. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, so the two of them are, are very strong chess players as well. So it is kind of a family thing. So did you grow up playing poker also? Or did chess kind of somehow lead into poker? Or how did you get into poker? Yes, chess led into poker because so many of my friends kind of quit chess to pick up poker. So we're, we're kind of straddled both worlds, but yes, it, it did happen more that way. I didn't play poker as a kid at all, although my mom did. I remember that she played these weekly poker games and they played all sorts of different games. And it was just like her time slot that on Saturday afternoons, she always played poker. And I remember she told me a story about how when she got pregnant, uh, some of her more conservative friends told her that she would never play poker again. And she, she looked at them and said, I'm still going to play those Saturday <laughs> poker games. And it is very true that she did just that. And so, man, so just, it's a really cool background, super interesting background. And you're also, uh, you're also a writer and you have a degree in literature, right? That's part of your story. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, maybe that led into the fact that soon after graduating college, I wrote chess bitch, which is a story, which right. is like, the story of my own chess career. And that was definitely informed by doing so much reading and writing in college and realizing that chess intersected with all these kinds of gender issues that I was reading about. And yeah, I I had so much fun writing that book. That was one of the best 
times of my life. And I think got me kind of addicted to this idea of projects, like big projects that you kind of like can sink your teeth into and get totally engrossed in. So let's talk a little bit about that book then. Uh, you know, so it was called, yeah, it's called Chess Bitch, but the subtitle, uh, Women in the Ultimate Intellectual Sport. And so uh, what was sort of the angle that you took with that? Was it just just sort of your personal experience or were you looking at it more from a, a gender perspective, social norms, or what was kind of your, your angle there? Well, it was uh, like 50% my story interwoven with stories of top women players from the past, and then a little bit of analysis of how playing chess was both um, was colored by your gender. So what kinds of experience women chess players had, what ways they were perceived by playing chess, kind of similar to some issues that we see in poker, like in chess and in poker, we often hear people talking about players appearances a lot more than even in the general culture i mean of course people are much more obsessed with uh feminine appearance but in chess and poker it seems to be even exaggerated because women are in the minority and um lots of other issues too like in both worlds it feels like kind of like an almost obsessive um compulsion with questions like why are there sometimes separate tournaments and are women capable of being the very best? All kind of like legitimate questions, but the kind of obsession in both worlds with them, I think shows that the way the question is being asked is often coming from like a disingenuous place. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really interested in, in those issues. So I brought up some of those in chess bitch and They've kind of um, come along with me my whole life, for better or worse. So, so do you think some of the conversations that, that people are trying to have about gender in poker or chess or, or anything like that are actually doing more harm than good because of the way that they're approached? Yes, I do. I think that the way that the questions are framed are sometimes very negative and they're more likely to, to, um, to create more negative conversation, which is never good. So when I wrote Chess Pitch, and actually with a lot of my female empowerment work, one thing that I often like to do is try to focus on the positive. So talk about women who are, are doing well and history, stories of women who have succeeded in chess and who have had fascinating lives, um, rather than kind of like obsess over things like, is the female brain different? And is that why there's not as many women who play? Because I think that those types of questions, unless you're actually like a scientist or a biologist, um, usually they just lead to some kind of circular negative reasoning. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on it. And I've, you know, I, I feel like in chess pitch, that's why I kind of tried to focus on the storytelling elements. And in a lot of my work now with female empowerment in chess, it's just about finding girls and women who could get a lot out of chess and coaching them. So that's a big part of my life. I'm the program director for U.S. Chess Women. So I try to raise money for girls and women um, to get more women and girls into chess, especially those who kind of intersect with other populations that might benefit a lot from chess. And I try to go out and do ambassadorial work you know, teach people chess, tell them the benefits of chess. That, that's kind of the main thing that I do outside poker right now. So as you think about the, I guess the, the I'll call it gender inequality just for a better, a lack of a better term in terms of the, just the pure numbers of people playing poker. Um, you know, what, 
I guess as you look at that, is it a, is it a cause for alarm for you? Would you categorize it as a problem or is it more of this is sort of social conditioning that little by little we're chipping away and it's just becoming more mainstream for there to be more diversity? Like, how do you, how do you frame this? You know, I see three or 4% of the people playing the main event are women or whatever the percentages are, you know, pick a number. How, what sort of lens do you look at that through? Do you look at it through a problem lens or tell, tell me a little bit of how, how you frame that? Well, I think with the main event being $10,000, um, one thing that poker is, is it shows, it's a mirror for some issues that we just have in the world in general. And there's a huge wage gap between women's and men's salaries. But I think even beyond that, there's also a very big wealth gap. So being able to just have $10,000 to play a poker tournament, it's just going to be less likely for women to be able to have that money. And I do think that's a problem because it's a microcosm for other types of investments that women might not be able to make because they don't have as much capital or people aren't as willing to invest in them. Because of course, we know that many people playing in the main event are selling action and that that's definitely an issue as well. So yeah, I, I see it certainly as something that we would want to change. I mean, that said, the main event is a really, really grueling schedule. And since women are definitely, I'm not going to say burden because it's also a blessing to you know take care of children. It's a, there are definitely do more of that um, work taking care of children in this country. So with the grueling schedule of it, it doesn't necessarily fit the mom's or dad's schedules very well, but particularly mom's, right? Right. Uh, especially if you're in some kind of phase of breastfeeding or pregnancy. So yeah, I think, you know, I never really liked the grueling schedule of the WSOP. I kind of prefer like EPTs or some of the WPTs that end at like seven o'clock PM. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I'd like to see more variety in the WSOP because maybe that would allow for more parents, let alone just women, to participate. Like, for instance, I have some friends who are going to Vegas with their kids and they might find like a good daycare, but it, it's like eight to six. Would it be cool if we had some events that could actually fit a schedule like that? I think so. Yeah, no, and so you know that's that's a good point about the main event. Is it? But if you go to the EPT, and I've never, pl- well, I guess I played in Ireland, but I've never really played a lot in Europe. Um, do you, do you see the same sort of diversity gap there, or is there something uh, that's that's a little bit more diverse in Europe? I mean, honestly, the, the, I think I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but as right. far as women goes, it might actually be better here. Okay. I just I just I I like I think it's very typical. It, this happens in chess as well where in America, it seems that for some reason, and I'm sure it's based on supply and demand to some extent, but for some reason, tournament schedules, whether it's chess or poker, are so grueling. It's like they think that if somebody gets a break, they don't want to do anything but play poker. They, like they're, you know, they just right. want to play poker for 14 hours. It's exactly the same with chess. And then in Europe, when they have poker tournaments or chess tournaments, usually they leave like, some time for you to maybe go out and have a dinner. Not all EPTs, but usually it's a little bit more like that. Maybe, uh, you know, you, you, you'd finish at like 9 at 9.30 instead of like midnight, right? Right. So I'm trying to think, think about the comments that you made about, you know, seeing the, I guess, the, the main event or other events, just kind of this diversity thing is sort of a, I guess, a symptom of a bigger issue, right? Of, of either it's wage gap or other gender issues. So 
as we look at, you know, as somebody who, my, my, I believe my heart is in the right place. I just don't know what to do. And that's why I'm having guests like you on to help understand how can I use whatever platform that we have with Rec Poker to help, you know, help with the diversity issue. Because I'm, I'm a firm believer that a community is only as strong as the diversity that it has. And so obviously there's societal issues and I'm involved in some of those trying to figure out what can we do there. But from a pure poker perspective, like what sort of message would you like to see the podcast giving or what sort of, you know, guests would you like to see us have on that might, that might help, uh, you know, I guess push, push the rock up the hill a little bit. I mean, is there anything that we can do as a, I guess as a, as a middle-aged white privileged male, uh, you know, I, I agree. I admit, I admit it. Nothing I can do about that. Uh, but what can I do to, I guess, help for lack of a better word? Well, I think uh, getting guests that represent diversity on your show is very good. And then I, I think in general, there's always ways to kind of try to be on the lookout. If you think that there's an underrepresented population in poker, be on the lookout for ways to make connections for them because our, our world is actually really clicky. You know, uh, I, I think that it's easy to forget that once you're more embedded in the world and you make lots of connections really quickly because it seems so warm and welcoming when you're part of it. Right. But a lot of, I noticed this week on Twitter, a lot of people were sharing memories of their first WSOP. And it's like, I didn't really participate because I remember my first WSOP, I didn't know anyone. And I was just going there as like, kind of like for fun as a total recreational player in between, um, you know, chess responsibilities. Cause I was like doing all sorts of chess writing and commentary and editing work. Um, I had some friends who were professionals, but they weren't there at that time. And I, I felt like it was a really cold atmosphere at that time, even though that was like the poker boom when there were supposed to be all these parties and like amazing things going on. It's funny, like I didn't sense that at all. Like I have so much more fun when I go now and it seems so much more festive. So I, I think it's funny. It's just like about perspective in that way and making sure that you're kind of looking at it from the eyes of an outsider, even if you are kind of in in some kind of insider situation. Right. Yeah. And I think that intentional connection, I think is a, is a good point. I think I just, you know, I know that sometimes you kind of go down that line of saying, Hey, I'm trying to intentionally include certain people. And sometimes that can be perceived as pity or something else. So there's always kind of that fine line for me. Uh, and maybe that's just my, my people pleaser in me. I want to make sure everybody's happy, but um, you know, that that's always a line. I feel like I'm walking a little bit. Oh, that's a great point. You know, I have a friend who is really um, just, so brilliant on these issues of like diversity and sometimes she calls it, she, oh, she has a term for it, which is great for your podcast. I don't remember who coined it, but I know that my friend Shonda often talks about quote unquote recreational diversity. And she says that like at her university that she were different university cultures, sometimes it seems that people are trying because they're so interested in diversity, they're trying to get, people to come and speak about diversity and consult on diversity. And that sometimes it's actually a big emotional burden on the people who are, you know, really trying to get ahead and, you know, do, do work. Right. So I, I know what you mean that it, sometimes you're not sure if by trying to consult with someone who's underrepresented in the poker world, if you're doing a good thing or if you're overdoing it. And so I think the main thing is to talk to people about it and be open to changing your mind and not stubborn because of course we're all going to make mistakes along the way of trying to make the world better. Right. Yeah. And I'd, I'd rather err on the side of, 
of being inclusive and, and being diverse. But I know I've, I've worked, you know, 30 years in the corporate world and a number of those in like workforce analytics and working with uh, with CEOs on diversity issues and trying to, some of those things. I know those are some of the some of the backlash that comes up sometimes as people are trying to be intentionally diverse that it can actually uh, have, have a negative effect. So I'm trying to be really, uh, I guess, tuned into that. Uh, and kind of like you said, I mean, I, I'm not going to know what it's like to be a woman playing poker. I just won't. You know, that's where having people like you on the show to help explain some of that thing and uh, give us, I guess, a new pair of glasses to look through is super helpful. Yeah, generally, I think that it's it's really fun to be a woman in poker. Po- poker, from my perspective, um, but I'm I I think you can see that a lot of the women in poker are extroverted, and perhaps the ones who are put off by the extra attention that they're getting, they don't stay with poker. So there's a bit of a survivorship bias, I think, when you ask, like, is it fun to be a woman in poker? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, you're you're still playing, so there's a good chance you think the answer is yes, but there might have been people who were put off from it and don't play anymore. And then we look at our numbers, they're not good, so... So how do you... So I'm, I'm kind of curious about the experience that you've had as a woman in chess and in poker... And, and forgive me, I mean, I, I, I know how to play chess, but I've never played competitively at all. Um, so I guess I, I, I picture chess as you against one opponent. And yeah, you could be in a minority of, of women playing in that tournament or whatever that situation is versus at a poker table where there might be eight or nine other guys there and one woman. Are there, I mean, are there the similarities, differences? Is it, what's sort of the, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to kind of, what is that, what is that environment like? Is it, um, is it, is it similar between poker and chess or is it quite a bit different? Um, well, you know, the thing about chess is that there's so much resources devoted to chess because of the educational element. I mean, in the United States, for instance, uh, and I do work for the U.S. Chess Federation where we have this women's program that I mentioned earlier uh, there's so many people invested in seeing those numbers go up because they know how important it is to educate girls in fields like chess because it's a natural gateway to STEM fields. Right. So people are really invested in it and they think that it's really important to educate people the right way, whether it's girls or boys. Uh, I don't see that same like attendant to pedagogy in poker because people don't necessarily see it as a positive um, for like education. And I, I think that it certainly can be, especially if you're talking about financial education. So that's one difference I see that I think that chess throughs a lot of people who are really invested in making things work for girls and women. And I, I'm seeing very positive things in poker as well. It, I just think that maybe in chess, it's even more rigorous because of the, the aspect of the children involved. And that's good. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess, you know, if somebody says they play chess, you think, oh, they're really smart. And if somebody says they play poker, you think, oh, they're a degenerate. <laughs> right? So there's sort of a, a stigma with it, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we're overcoming that to some extent. <laughs> I, so. I mean, I think people like, you know, Maria Konnikova, you know, right, Liv Marie, people like that who are doing like these incredible mainstream things with poker that show the positive side, how it can be good for your decision making and your psychology and your relationships. I, I hope that that's starting to spread because it, th- that's definitely how the way that I see poker. Yeah. I love, I love Liv's talk that she did. Uh, John, did you have something to add there? Well, just kind of uh, going on with what Jen was saying, are, are you still the um, 
Mind Sports Ambassador for uh, Poker Stars? Yes, I am. And what are, I know a few years ago you did like a chess poker combination thing, and I don't remember any of the details, but what are you doing with that right now? Well, yeah, I did a couple of chess poker combinations. I feel like I've done all of them. We've we've had so many fun events. One of the most remarkable ones was before the Poker Stars Players Championship in the Bahamas. I had a contest for people to create a game that involved randomness and chess. And so they had to create a game from scratch. And that was like so fun because people came up with such great ideas. And we actually had 50-50 from the poker community and the chess community as the finalists. I mean, like the primary community that they belong to. And on top of that, we had 50-50 male-female. So half the finalists were women, half of them were men. And um, in the end, and we also had a special match to celebrate this um, incredible competition where I partnered up with Daniel Negreanu and Liv Marie partnered up with Danny Ranch, who is the uh, chief operating officer at chess.com and I am, and we, we played this like tandem match. So it, it had this great uh, synergy of uh, the winner ended up being Warren Sheaves, who created a really brilliant game, but that was one of the most memorable and he got a platinum pass worth $30,000 for his creation. That was definitely a very memorable um, combination. I think right now, actually, a new podcast that I launched, The Grid, is probably the pinnacle of my work that combines chess and poker because it's very chess-inspired. The Grid actually does not refer to the 8x8 chess board, but rather to the 13 by 13 grid that we now see so um, ubiquitous for poker training. It's such a cool concept. I, I haven't listened, but I read a little bit about it. I'm super excited because I, I, I don't know who it was. Did the, you know somebody did the king forehand, right? That or was Lex. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was Lex. Yeah. So, so you know, talk talk a little bit more about that. Promote that a little bit and tell people kind of what you're doing with that podcast. Well, yeah. As you can see, there's a there's a relationship between chess because we're now looking at kind of the the chessboard of poker the way that I see it and. Yeah. How I, I see it is that in my life, I, I feel I've been so lucky to um, be exposed to chess and poker as well as art and literature, which is what I studied in college. And rather than think that these things are divorced, much like the great artist Marcel Duchamp, I see that there's a lot of interplay in art and chess and poker. And so it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard to me whenever somebody talks about how math and game theory is destroying the creativity of poker. Because I, I understand why they're saying that. I get it. They think that people are like, you know, just memorizing strategies and executing them like robots. Uh, but the thing is, I feel like anybody who's actually put serious work into something like game theory and, and math and solvers, like if you've actually put in hours, you see that it actually expands your creativity, not limits it. Because you become better at chunking different types of hands. You see that things are possible that you never thought were possible before. So personally, I, I can see how it could become something that makes you more rigid, but that's certainly not the only way that it can be used. And um, that was part of the inspiration for me for the grid to show how this idea of thinking in boxes can actually be very creative. And so my podcast is talking to 169 different poker players about all the 169 combinations. So it's like a game within a game. Not only am I doing these kind of 
bite-sized interviews where they describe their hand, but I'm also hunting down the 169 hands. It's a super cool concept. I mean, congratulations on that. I think that's a super cool concept. Hopefully you've had some good, good early reviews on that. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, the issue for me is like, I, I feel right now, like all the interviews have been so wonderful. Like my guests have been so great and I know that it's going to get harder because at some point, like there's 169 ends and like once a combo is taken, they can't talk about it. Right, right. So I know I might get this amazing guest and they're like, I want to talk about like Jack eight suit. And I have like the greatest hand. And I'm like, well, sorry, you know, like Lex already took that hand. And <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> you have to come up with something else. Well, it gives them, it gives them incentive to reach out to you sooner than later. I mean, if you're a great player and you want to talk about a certain hand, reach out to Jen now. Like don't wait for her to approach you with, with seven, three offsuit. Yeah, that hasn't been taken. And I, I am like, if I have a friend and, or if I, if there's like a televised hand that I know is like really amazing, I stop, some of them, I have a spreadsheet. So I have like reserved some of them myself and I have like some players who reserve them, but yeah, it's definitely really fun. And I think it's important. I mean, actually, I think it's part of poker training because uh, in art, sometimes we talk about negative space. And I think that one of the issues that players sometimes have, especially if they don't play heads up, is that there's this entire morass of hands that they don't really play. And it just feels like, okay, they're all equally bad. But, well, they're not really equally bad. And also they're there. And it's important to know that they're there when, for instance, it gets folded to you in the small blind and you end up playing against um, a range that includes almost every hand. So, yeah, I think that that's part of the reason for the podcast as well, that I think it's Actually, even if you don't like that kind of studying with solvers, which is totally legitimate because it could be really bad for some people, um, there are probably some things you can get from thinking about the grid in that kind of spatial way. That's so good. And so you kind of mentioned that you've got the art and the science, both pieces. You also mentioned Marcel Duchamp. You want to talk a little bit about the art of chess? Oh, wow. It's such a big topic. I'm on the board of this uh, amazing chess museum in St. Louis called the World Chess Hall of Fame. And there have just been so many artists throughout history that have created work around chess because it's such a great canvas for creativity. It's constricted sculpture. Um, The chessboard is like a mirror of your brain. And there's just so many different ways to take it. Um, Yoko Ono created it. a, a great chess piece called Play It by Trust, where all of the pieces were white. And her idea was that at some point you wouldn't know who was on move and that you'd have to make a draw. So it was kind of this pacifist chess set. Huh. Um, I've created a lot of work with my husband around chess and art as well. So it's really like a limitless topic, honestly. I mean, it's just amazing. Like if you go to worldchessofhalloffame.org, you'll see all of the different exhibits that they've had and the the last five years and you'll be shocked. You like, I, I, I thought there might be like one exhibit on the art of chess. You might think, no, there it's really like limitless. There's so many ways to take it. That's cool. So, and then uh, your other book play like a girl. Let's talk about that. Well, that's a book because I realized at some point that some younger children and their parents might not want to buy a chess pitch. So I, <laughs> play like a girl is more like a workbook like chess exercises all executed by female chess champions and the idea is that 
these chess tactics are just work things that you'll will make your brain sharper and help you with your pattern recognition but incidentally they're all executed by female chess champions and i think that just has a great effect on women that's so good well i'd love to kind of hear you know we've got a a pretty captive audience here you've got uh, i know a number of women that are listening to the show uh like anything it's it's mostly male dominated in poker but i know uh, a number of women every week that are, are talking to me about how they like the show or whatever so i know they're listening uh, so I kind of want to ask you a couple of questions here. One is, you know, what would you want to say to the, I guess, the female recreational players that are listening to you right now? And then what would you want to say to the male recreational players that are out there listening to you right now as far as uh, those who are, you know, concerned or hopeful about, you know, greater uh, diversity in, in the gender space? Hmm. Well, let's see. For women, I would say um, – that it's always great to play online if you haven't tried it yet. Because a lot of women, I think, are attracted to poker because it makes you feel like special and exciting to be playing and be one of the few women. For some people, it's intimidating. But for a lot of people who gravitate towards poker, they like that. But in order to get the fundamentals, it's so important to get in volume. And you can only do that online. So I think that that's well, you can do it live, but it just takes a really, really long time. So I, I, I would encourage um, women recreational players, if they haven't played online, that's a great way to build your confidence and to try out different strategies that you're learning. And of course, it seems like in the United States, we're starting state by state, we're starting to regulate. But keep in mind that you don't have to live in the state in order to play online poker. So if you're like visiting a friend in New Jersey, you can play on Poker Stars, right? Um, so it's worth it's worth giving it a shot. And then to people who want to make women more comfortable at the table or get more women into the game, I guess just make sure that you're including women in your life in poker if they think that they're interested in it, right? It's all about the closest to home, I think, is the place to start. And obviously, don't be a jerk. But I feel like <laughs> you guys are so nice. Like, there, there's no – you don't have any – a-holes watching this podcast, right? Well, probably. Um, and, and you know who you are. Uh, uh, no, I mean, well, I mean, I, I play the local casino. I play, I play small dollar buying tournaments. You know, I play the small stuff. And, uh, and there, there are men who treat women really poorly. Um, and sometimes they're doing it intentionally. Sometimes they're not. Uh, but it's, there, there can be, it's not, it's not a culture all the time, but there's enough of that. And I think there are people listening to this show that probably have not treated women with enough respect or men either. I mean, just sort of treating every, all of humanity with enough respect. And so I think uh, hopefully that's a challenge to everybody to kind of look at yourself and myself included and just say, am I acting in a way that is actually inviting and inclusive uh, and respectful of, of all people? So uh, hopefully there's nobody that's, uh, they, they probably tuned out by now after four weeks of talking about women in poker, they probably tuned out if they're, if they're of that ilk. Uh, but I would, I would challenge all of us to continue to always look at that. Yeah. I mean, there's some things that you might not realize just that because women tend to get more attention in poker, if they are kind of running badly, just use social cues. Sometimes even if that you, you have started out having a good conversation with them, they might just be done and wanting to focus on poker because they're feeling a little self-conscious. People always notice when women are losing pots. So sometimes that like kind of attention is tough. It's, it can be fun if you're winning a lot of pots because then people might be just remarking on like how huge a boss you are. 
But if you're just, you know, if you bet folded a few times or something, it just, you could just start to look, feel like everybody's looking at you. So just kind of be attentive. And it seems like if she doesn't want to talk to you, you know, just like you would if you were trying to hit on a woman, I I think that, (laughs) you know, it's always nice to just like give some space. Yeah, that's good. John, did you have something? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you know, here in Minnesota, we're known for the whole Minnesota nice thing. But even with that, I would say somewhere around 5% of the guys at the table can be real jerks. Um, and I, when that happens, I struggle with what I should do. Because yeah. from one perspective, you know, women are grown people and they can take care of themselves. They don't need me to step in and try to rescue them. That, they are fully capable. On the other hand... I don't like letting that type of behavior go unchecked either. And particularly like with a dealer, I have no problem. If someone is being a jerk to the dealer, I will stand up for them because they cannot stand up for themselves just due to their doing their job. So what do you think would be a good or appropriate way to react to someone being a jerk at the table? Hmm, that's a good question because it kind of depends on the situation, like how bad it is. Because um, you're right, sometimes it could just be seen as, um, you know, further escalating the situation or, you know, creating a new problem. Just So it really depends. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it, when in doubt though, I, I would probably err in the side of saying something because uh, from my experience, it seems that a lot of times people take the approach to say nothing. So if you're on the fence, I would, I would think that it was, it's nice just to show some support, you know? Sounds good. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. Cause yeah, there are times where I've, I've done that. And I mean, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm not super uh, uh, conf- confrontative, I guess at the table, but uh, if somebody's, you know, picking on anybody, whether, you know, male, female, young, old, whatever, you know, I do, I'll jump in and defend them too, but there are situations where people are like, Hey, I can defend myself. Like, Oh, sorry. I was just trying to help. And then, yeah, it just kind of makes it a, a more uncomfortable situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely depending on the situation. Yeah. Also maybe sometimes if somebody, they might be like trying to set up a dynamic, it might be kind of part of their game plan. Right. So yeah, I think you have to just kind of uh, take it, take it on a case by case basis. But if somebody's really highlighting like not like being a jerk and they're not really referencing gender or anything or using any aggression that would be a clue but if, if they're really starting to like reference gender and get personal i think that's like starting to be a clue that you should get involved and at least make it known that you don't agree with that type of statements at the poker table now if it just seems to you that they're hassling the person and saying like you couldn't have bluffed there and you're making the assumption that they're doing that because of the gender Maybe you don't need to step in then because maybe that person actually wants them to think that they're never bluffing. Right. You know? which, which I've heard before. I've heard women say, oh, yeah, they, they never think I'm bluffing, which is perfect. Right. Some women might might like totally love that that guy is saying that. I mean, you can maybe like, you know, kind of make eye contact or something right. like, but I, I wouldn't necessarily step in in a situation that actually seems like it's more strategically oriented. So, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, as we, as we kind of close up here, like what are you doing now in, in the poker world, Jen? Are you playing much or are you, what's sort of your involvement in poker? Well, yeah. Um, I've been really busy with chess stuff for the last few months as yeah. I have gotten this women's program set up, but now with the world series of poker coming, um, up soon, I'm 
getting more into poker and of course starting this podcast is very inspiring to me. And then I am excited to play in the WSOP main and ladies event. So, and finally, I, I know that there's something really great on the horizon and that's a uh, poker coming to PA because as a mom of a young child, it's really just so phenomenal to be able to play online poker. I've always loved online poker because I think that in, I like live poker because of the social and psychological aspects. But in terms of like becoming a better player, I always feel like it's a little easier for me to do that online because I get more volume in. So I, I've, I've always really loved the online game and the fact that regulated poker is coming to PA quite soon really keeps me motivated. Now, some of the some of the other guests have talked, you know, we've asked them kind of what do you think would be a, a, you know, a big thing, sort of a breakthrough moment for women in poker that might draw more women to the game. And a number of people have mentioned, uh, you know, having a woman make the final table of the main event, you know, maybe winning it, but even just making the final table. And I know we've been knocking on the door several times over the last few years. Kind of what's do you, do you kind of have the same sort of thought there? Like that might be, you know, one big thing that would put, you know, the game more attractive to women or what do you think would be a breakthrough uh, I guess, success that uh, a woman could have? I think a couple of things. I think regulated online poker in more states or federally for certain would be really huge because online poker just fits lifestyles of a lot of women. I think uh, universal childcare in America would help too because I think that there's a little bit of an issue for women, even if they don't have kids yet, they might be a bit more conservative with their money knowing that you know, there's this like huge bill, um, you know, potentially mm-hmm. forthcoming with like, you know, sending their kids um, to, to daycare or that that kind of thing. I I think that there it's it's almost harder to be like very um, risky with your money as a woman in the United States, especially if you think you might have children later. Now, some people might say that men have exactly the same issues, but I don't know. I personally think it's even more of an issue for women because the experience of pregnancy does, you know, sometimes take them out of the, the, the job market for a few months. And you also have to prepare for those, those months, right? right? You need to have more of a nest egg, like quite literally. So even though it's totally unrelated to poker, I think that would help in America in so many ways for women to take more risks with their career and men too, but I just think it would help women even more. And so those those two things, and then, yeah, a female were a poker champion also. But I tried to give you a kind of out-of-the-box answer as well. I love it. I love it. That's, that's, that's why, you know, that's why it's so good to get different perspectives on different things. I think that's, I think you're, you, it just seems just from this one conversation, you know, you're so, uh, so wired at what's the core issue, which I love. That's what I do in my, my coaching and consulting practice is really help people get to the core issue. So, you know, here's the problem or the symptom or the situation or whatever. It seems like you kind of naturally say, yeah, but that's a kind of a microcosm for the deeper issue, which is this, or, you know, I, th- I think that's, I love how you're, you're thinking about that kind of on the next level. So I appreciate that a lot. Now, if, if we think about, so if, if it's not you that wins the world championship, you know, who, who's it going to be like, let's give us, give us, give me your pick. Maybe this is an uncomfortable. Who are, who are your top three picks for women winning the, winning the main event? Who do you think it'll be? God, winning the main event. I mean, like no limit hold'em players. Well, I mean, there's, you know, Liv Marie has had so many deep runs and I know she's there this year and uh, yeah, she's, she's obviously a great candidate. Um, There's, there's Maria Ho, of course, who seems to be going deep in so many things lately. I mean, these are kind of obvious answers. I'm sorry. That's all right. (laughs) But uh, somebody, 
somebody, uh, I mean, my, um, I have to pick my good friends, of course, Jamie Kurtzetter and Katie Stone, both of okay. whom I know, like, I know uh, are working so hard in this industry for so many years. Yeah. And I really love, I really love and respect them both so much, you know, I, and they kind of gone in different directions in cer- certain ways, but like me, they're also very passionate about the online game. And I think that that's important for the tournament as well. And of, co- of course, I think that in general, the main event, really good for a young fit player. Hmm. So I, I'm not sure who, who else um, is coming up in the, the, women's, the women's side who would really fit those, those lines. But yeah, I mean, Kristen Bicknell, of course, has won the women GPI a couple of years in a row. Uh, but, but it could be anyone, really. You know, it'd be, I, so fun. it'd be so fun to have like a woman come out of nowhere, like John Hesp did on the men's side last year. Just a, you know, a woman who's just sort of doing this recreational comes out of nowhere and ends up making the final table. It'd be so much fun. It would absolutely be really fun. I think it's it it is hard these days, though. I think that the fact that they took the the final table and they put it right next to the um, yeah, they put it they they took away the break. I, that's good in some ways, but it's also. It's also tough because it means that um, a woman who, or a man who's less known doesn't have that time to kind of bring their game up to speed. Uh, certainly, uh, I know Kelly Minkin has had several deep runs in the uh, in the main event, so um, she's always very dangerous as well. I, yeah, there's 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 so many great female players out there. I know uh, Farrah Galfon's been playing a lot of high stakes games, and last year she was pregnant and played the main event, and this right. year. I'm sure she'll be back, and she's um, a, a really, a really great player as well. So there's a there's a lot of great women players out there, and I think for us, you know, for us recreational players that aren't, you know, as locked into the scene as so many of you folks are, you know, sometimes you you kind of get lost on you know who's out there. But I think these are a lot of great names for for people to research and look at and, and kind of see what they've done in their career because they've they've done some incredible things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the same time, I always. Sometimes I don't like comparing like women with each other because I think that it's like such a knee jerk response. And sometimes it can be like, uh, I, it can almost be like a a source of negativity occasionally. So yeah, I have mixed feelings with the obsession. Like I agree that I would love to see a woman make the final table and win the main event, but I also don't necessarily like obsessing over like which woman it's going to be because I think that it could come off in one hand it's empowering to fans, but it could also come out, come off as like competitive, like who's the best one and who's most likely to win. And, you know, I guess that's the way that a lot of people think about poker and I don't blame them, but it's really, really unknowable. I think there's so many factors that go into it. Right. No, that's, that's a really, really fair point. Well, there's a number of great candidates. I'd love to see any of them or any other woman. Let's get four or five of them on the final table this year. That'd be fantastic. Well, I want to honor your time. So I guess, is there anything that you want to share that we haven't touched on that kind of on your heart or projects that you're working on. You mentioned these great projects or ways that people can connect with you. Kind of give us a, a wrap up uh, platform, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got my, my, my two podcasts actually one is um, the grid. And then I'm also involved with us chess women. And one thing I do is I have a conversations with a top women chess players called ladies night. So, you know, if I, if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Jen Shahadi, I always update everything in those channels. So it's really easy to keep up to date with me too there. And then as you know, it's always really nice to get subscribers and iTunes reviews because it really helps just, you know, keep people informed of your content. 
Right. All right. Well, John, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask or to add? Uh, no, I'm just, uh, think it's great to have had the chance to talk with you and I've enjoyed listening to your, uh, the podcast you've been on over the years. <clears throat> And now you've added another one I need to listen to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Listen and let me know what you think. And I think I already, I think I've already subscribed to you guys on iTunes. So now that I've actually gotten a chance to be on this show, I just really love the way that you do it. I think it's really smart. And I'll certainly be listening to future episodes. I know it was Eileen Sutton who got us yeah. um, hooked in together. And she, she's great. And so, you know, shout out to her for connecting us. Yeah, she, she was just a fantastic guest. And it's like, oh, hey, you got to talk to these people and these people. I'm like, that's great. Uh, I'll de definitely do that. Yeah, she's fantastic. And hers will be, I think we're releasing hers in a couple of weeks as well. So uh, you'll be able to hear that pretty soon. But but Jen, yeah, seriously, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy, but uh, this means a lot. And uh, and like I mentioned before, you know, we're, we're just, it, it's impossible for us to really have the right perspective without bringing in people that are sort of living that out. And so uh, I really do appreciate that and all you're doing with, with chess and getting, getting uh, young girls, you know, into STEM and those sorts of things as well and making our world a better place. Thank you so much. All right, Jen. Well, we will be in touch and maybe we'll get you back on at some point and just talk some poker strategy. Yeah. Maybe after that, after we have uh, some, some women in the main event, there will be like so much to talk about at the ma that main event final table. Right? Yeah. After your final table appearance, hopefully you'll still, you know, be, be willing to come on the rec poker podcast. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'll have, <laughs> right. I'll have more free time then. Because <laughs> right, good point. <laughs> All right, Jen, we'll let you go there. Thank you so much. Bye guys. All right. We're going to hang on here so you can just go ahead and hang up there and we'll keep going. Okay, cool. All right. Thanks, Jen. All right. So you want me to hang up now? Yeah, you can, you can hang up. Yeah. You're okay. Good. All right. All right. Bye Thanks, guys. See you. See I hope to see you in Vegas. I hope so too. Yeah. I'll, I'll for sure do that. All right. All right, John. Well, thank you for joining the call, John. I appreciate that. I know it's it's not our regular recording time. Well, no, I've listened to uh, her on several podcasts over the years. I don't even remember which ones they were because she wasn't the host of any of those, but just a guest on different ones. And I've always enjoyed her listening to her speak. Very intelligent um, and has a good perspective on things. And I think it's good to hear a different nuanced perspective like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's what I loved about our different guests. You know, we had Lexi and Eileen Sutton and Diva, Diva on, you know, all these different perspectives. And I, that's what I think is really helpful to kind of hear what are the common threads coming through that, but then also how are they thinking differently about it? Right. And I mean, here we are a couple of white guys talking about, you know, improving diversity, but yeah. I think it's important that everyone thinks about it and we need to figure out how to be more inclusive just in general without being patronizing and yeah. without, you know, talking down to people or anything like that. And uh, so I think this is a good step. Yep. I agree. That That's exactly the goal. How do we do those things? Well, we'll let, we'll let you go, John, but yeah, thanks again. And we'll be in touch uh, soon. Sounds good. All right. Have a good night. <laughs> yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.